Welcome to Moments with Marianne. This is your host, Marianne Pastana, and we're here today with special guest, Iman Ubu, who's here to share with us her new book, The Glass Ledge, How to Break Self-Sabotage, Embrace Your Power, and Create Your Success. So welcome to the show, Iman. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh my goodness, what an honor it is to have you here and to talk about your new book. And you know, even before we get started in your book, I mean, you have such a profound background. Why don't you share your journey of leaving Morocco at 15 and moving to the U.S.? What was that like? Yeah, it definitely was an experience that I think in hindsight shaped me to become the woman I am today. Um, at the time, I didn't know how much strength I really had to develop to cope with that big transition. Um, you know, at, the, at at 15, I had up until that point never been to the U.S. before. I had never spoken English at all. Um, if anything, I failed English in high school. <laughs> so that was not a good sign um, for my parents at all to see that they're about to make the decision to move to the U.S. And none of us spoke the English uh, language. And also none of us really has been acclimated or even familiar with the culture here, not even on vacation. So it was really, I think, I would say a bold move um, from my parents to really make that decision and also want to come with us in that journey because it wasn't easy for them to uh, leave everything they had worked for, their successful careers, their extended families, life as they knew it, to sacrifice all that and start over in a new foreign country just for the chance um, that their kids might one day have a chance at the American dream. So I really admire that strength and the sacrifices they had to um, go through to to put their children's needs before theirs. Uh, And ultimately, like I said, we really did a good job, I think, as a family coping with it. And I'm so grateful to have had them and my brother and we really went through it together and it brought us a lot closer than we were actually in Morocco. And um, it shaped me to be this kind of resilient and ambitious uh, woman that is really going to stop at nothing until she's able to get a chance at that American dream like her parents wanted for her. And so it's it's a very important, I think, transition in my life and, and pivot that ultimately was also, um, I would say, a pioneer to all the other pivots and risks I've taken in my own personal life and my own professional life and being shaped to be okay with taking risks and not seeing um, barriers or any outside factors as anything that can stand between me and what I want out of life. Well, I would definitely say that's the case. I mean, you've, you're a former beauty queen, a scientist, and you've got this just remarkable background. Why don't you take us a little bit through that, through your professional career? Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up always kind of thinking I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and so I ended up going to um, you know school for biochemistry, molecular biology, and I went to grad school for bioengineering. And ultimately I decided to go against medical school and instead do grad school to immerse myself in the research and R&D side of the medical field, which I found very interesting um, and just also a way of saving lives, but without being at the forefront of dealing with patients um, and, you know, just going through medical school in general, I just 
realized when I had a chance to experience that it was not for me uh, because I'm just naturally a sensitive person and I couldn't really handle being able to be with patients and whatnot. So I realized early on that it was not a career of choice for me, but I still really loved the field. And so R&D and, and research was kind of the way to go. So I ended up becoming a research scientist specifically focused on the cancer research, uh, melanoma and carcinoma. And that's how I got my career started uh, by leading kind of clinical and preclinical trials for um a nanotherapy focused startup in Colorado. And then simultaneously, I was also doing medical missions around the world, which I think for me was another way of giving back, but without fully having to go through the medical school uh, journey. And so I had met an amazing doctor that spent 40 years or plus um, going to remote spots in, in, in third world countries to help restore proper healthcare systems and train doctors and just help them kind of, you know, um, reinvigorate their health system. And I really fell in love with that. And so I ended up going on a medical mission to South Sudan as my first one, which was a, during a civil war out there. And it was a life-changing experience. We actually spent a whole month there, um, even though it was in the middle of a war zone. But I don't think I was ever that fulfilled or happier in my life than when I was at that um, medical mission. It really was so fulfilling and eye-opening for me. And then I went on to, you know, lead medical missions to my home country, Morocco, as well as go to Ecuador, Kenya, um, and Ethiopia. So it was really a fulfilling way to almost achieve my dream of being a doctor, but without, um, unfortunately, having to go through med school. And so also during this time, um, my mother really wanted her only daughter to get in touch more with her feminine side, because I think up until then, I was just very into academia, very into sports. Uh, and I grew up in a way as a tomboy, as I only have a brother. And so um, I, I tended to hang out a lot with just boys. And it, to me, that was really who I was at the core. But my mom um, started getting these invitations from Miss Colorado USA pageant. And she's like, okay, maybe this could be a great opportunity for her to maybe experience something outside of her her comfort zone and, and get in touch with her feminine side more. So she signed me up when I was away on an internship in Germany. And when I got back, um, I got the invitation that I was accepted and that I was going to compete at this pageant, um, you know, in a couple of months. And so for, it was a back and forth between her and I, because I definitely refused at the beginning because it was not something I even could imagine myself doing, but ultimately I saw how important it was for her. And she made some really great points in terms of, Uh, you know, finding again, my competitive side and trying something new. And I'm all about that. So I ended up embarking on this journey that I had no idea what's going to come out of it. And to me, it was kind of like, I'm just going to do this once and make my mom happy and then forget about it. But I really fell in love with the preparation process, the discipline, um, just how much I got to know myself through that entire process, let alone, you know, the competition side of it. And just the sisterhood that was also able to discover that I never knew before, because like I said, up until then, I really bonded more with 
boys and guys because it was more of a safe place for me. And I didn't think that I could really have true, authentic friendships and sisterhood with other girls. It was not an experience I've had before. And to think that I found that in pageantry was to me mind blowing because, you know, it gets a bad rap. Um, But I discovered this whole side that I've never known and I fell in love with it. And I continued competing and competing again. And I ended up moving to New York um, in 2015 and I won the title of Miss New York US. Um, And at that point, that gave me an incredible platform and an amazing voice I didn't know I had to be able to give back to my community and really be able to inspire the younger generation of women. And because I got that platform, that's when I decided to pivot and, you know, launch a podcast at the time that shined the light on women who took different paths in their lives and still found success. And I really needed those conversations, not only, you know, to inspire myself, but I think to also pay that forward and shine the light on these unconventional ways that women, um, these unconventional stories that I think were inspiring to women everywhere. And we needed more of that because at the time in the media, there was not enough of it. And I couldn't find a lot of inspiration um, except for women who have kind of become billionaires and whatnot, which at that point, they're not really reachable or relatable. Um, But I wanted to really create a community of women that could speak about their stories and use that as a way to mentor each other. And so what that's what the podcast really was for um, initially, and and it took off in ways I couldn't even have expected, which has then led to uh, my new company at the time called Sway Media, which was an extension of the podcast mission. And that's really to create a publishing platform that can help foster these stories Um, of women and bring them together in a way through storytelling and content. Um, And so I ended up launching a media startup called Sway. And that's, you know, where I'm at today. That's what I'm running now. And, um, and then I ended up finally writing a book about all of this experience kind of combined and what all of these pivots in my life have taught me about life and about business and about career choices. And again, kind of continuing on my mission to continue helping women get inspired uh, and learn from each other. Well, I was very inspired by your story because I love how you kept pivoting at different moments in your career, in your personal life, and also thanks to your mother and in different, different areas that a lot of times women are told, you know what, you have to pick a career and stick with it regardless if you're happy or not. And I I think we're really kind of redefining what happiness means for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think at the very beginning uh, for me, again, I think that's why I seeked that inspiration through podcast is because I wanted other women to tell me that it's okay to pivot because I found myself very, again, unfulfilled uh, and unhappy in a career I thought I always wanted. I mean, I had at the time my dream job. I lived in my dream city. I had it all. I, I really loved the company I worked for. It was a great position. It's everything I had dreamt up when I was still in school. And I ended up achieving that. But somehow every morning waking up and going to that job did not feel like what I thought it would feel. And so to me, I think after pageantry, it gave me a voice to be able to seek these answers for myself and for other women that might be going through that. And really, I just wanted someone to be like, it's okay. You know, I've also been through that before and I've pivoted and look at me now, I'm happy as ever. And it almost gave me permission and validation that what I was going through was okay. And that I was going to make the right decision by not sticking to a career I didn't think 
was for me anymore and that it's okay to go look elsewhere for that purpose. And I think it's not um, every day that we're, we're, we're talking about this, especially us women, is that I think we have so much expectations on ourselves and so much expectations from society that sometimes we fear to make the choices where we are putting our own needs first, as opposed to the easy way out or the conventional way out and following that path because it's it, because of what people might think, you know, this fear of judgment and fear of failure, it's holding a lot of us back. And to me, I was on a mission to not let that take control of me any longer. I know a lot of people have heard about glass ceilings, mm-hmm. but your book is about the glass ledge. So what is that and how does that differ? Yeah. So the glass ledge uh, basically refers to the internal battles or as I like to call them, self-imposed glass ceilings that often distort our beliefs of who we are and what we're capable of. And I, and I think for me, I spent my entire life fighting glass ceilings and, and going out there and be like, okay, these are the external factors that are holding me back from the dream life I want or from this job or from this uh, goal of mine. And it was always kind of given power to the external world as opposed to looking inward and seeing that I was facing a much bigger danger. And that's actually the, the uh, internal barriers I was putting up for myself. And so, I mean, in my life, like I said, I've been an immigrant, a pageant queen, a scientist, a medical missionary, and entrepreneur and a women's advocate and now an author. And like I said, throughout my journey, I gradually came to realize that I had unconsciously adopted strategies that held me back and even drained the joy out of even my successes. And as I dug deeper and spoke to other women about it as well, I realized that I wasn't the only one and that we all face these issues. Um, And so to me, writing this book really represents the end of an era in which women fought to bring down external barriers and the beginning of a a deliberate path to um, expand our perception of ourselves and what we can accomplish when we embrace our potential and not give so much power to the outside world to hold us back from the, the dream life that we have set for ourselves. I would agree with you. I, it it seems that there's always going to be conflict or bad bosses or people who don't see our value. But mm-hmm. when we see our own value, I mean, how empowering is that? Right. And you feel, and to me, it's like you feel more in control because you know that you can't control being around people that don't have the best you, your best interest in mind. You can't control, you know, recessions. You can't control pandemics. You can't control a lot of things that are happening. You can't control sexual harassment. You know, you can you can't control things that are outside of your world. And those are probably going to happen no matter what. You know, even though we're all collectively trying to move towards a better world where there is more equity, there is more equality, there is more forgiveness and kindness, you know, that's always going to be a work in progress, but it's never going to be kind of a straight path full of rainbows and sunshine. But the only way to have control over what life throws at you is the way you react to it. And that all comes from deep within. And it all is based on really taking the time to build your self-awareness, understand your value outside of the outside world, outside of your job, outside of your relationship, outside of your friendship. You got to see that worth. You got to see that value um, because once you do see it and embrace it, then everything else is just details that you can overcome easily. And it doesn't it doesn't affect you as much, because I think for me, the, the, the worst thing that happened to me was internalizing 
every rejection I went through when I first launched my business and wanted to make these pivots, every judgment I've heard about me, oh, she's just a, a beauty queen with a PowerPoint and a dream. And she really doesn't have much brains, you know, like, you know, the stereotypes that came with being a beauty queen. Um, and, and it's funny because all of my credentials and my achievements never really, um, spoke for it. The fact that just sometimes my appearance or the fact that I'm a young woman or the fact that I, you know, um, did pageants precedes me and people made assumptions about me before they even gave me a chance to be who I truly am. And I, I, I made the mistake of, of internalizing that subconsciously and really making it my truth where I woke up one day and I just felt like I was no longer good enough and that I made all the wrong choices and that who was I to think that I could run a business in a, in a field that I didn't even have experience in? Or who was I to, to think that I could make it in a city like New York City, you know? And I started playing those thoughts over and over again. And now my internal dialogue became so toxic and negative, And that just became my truth. And ultimately that affected how I showed up in meetings that affected how I showed up in my relationships and that showed up how it affected how I showed up in even my own family. And and then I realized that this was all kind of a cycle that I was in without really realizing. And now I have all these internal barriers that I put for myself. And I am the reason why I'm not where I want to be in life. And I'm the reason why sometimes the outcomes I shoot for aren't happening. So, and I think once you have that shift in your mind and you finally feel at peace with taking accountability and responsibility that you do play a role in the outcomes you have in your life and that your choices are your own, then you start feel, even though that, that truth hurts at first, but it, you start feeling more in control of your path. Now you say, okay, so I know it's going to take a lot of work, but I got to just shift my, my, my mindset to, to value myself more, to love myself more, and to see myself as someone who's capable of achieving this, as opposed to someone who's going to get in her own way. And I think that's, to me, that is power. That is the true uh, source of power, independence, and strength, is if you're capable of realizing that you do have control and you do have a choice, no matter what situation you're in, and you can always get yourself out of it and back to where you want to be in life. I think it's so important that we change those narratives. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about your book is because you really kind of talk about our stories and how we can start unlearning some of the ones that we have and creating new ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and that's, again, a, a work in progress and it takes the right exercises, the right, I would say, also support system. And, and it's interesting because I've written a whole book about this, but I also want to be very vulnerable and transparent and realistic with all the women out there readers that it doesn't mean that I'm like at a point now where I feel like I perfected that. And that's, and, and that's one thing to also keep in mind is that you need to give yourself patience through your transformation. And as long as you're putting in the work, the inner work, then it's going to uh, one day you're going to wake up and feel much, much more in progress in terms of um, how you start seeing that instead of pushing through life, you're being pulled into it. And that's such an, uh, an interesting place to be because it comes with so much peace of mind and happiness, no matter what the circumstances are, or no matter what the outside world looks like, but being in that place on your own carries so much power. And 
that's again a work in progress. I'm finally now at a point where I have actually now a coach working me through it. So up until now, I've done a lot of that work on my own. And I've, you know, I've read a lot of books. I've talked to a lot of interesting women. I've interviewed them throughout my entire career. Um, I sit with myself in self-reflection. I meditate. So a lot of it was me really doing that inner work uncomfortably by myself. And now I also feel at a point where now I can invest in some support system to continuously help me go through that. Because as you progress through life, you know, there are more challenges that you are not familiar with that you need to overcome. There are more um, things in life that you start kind of taking in that you haven't experienced before. And you also want to make sure that there is a way, um, there's a support system that is able to help you navigate that as well because the idea is not to never have negative thoughts or never get in your own way because that's impossible and that's unrealistic for me to tell people that that's the goal because we're humans right but the but the goal is to be able to acknowledge when you're doing that and reverse it before it sabotages everything you've worked for it's really recognizing when that pops up there are so many ways that we sabotage our confidence and personal power What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the first way we do that is by not knowing what power means to us, right? I mean, um, if I were to go outside now and stop just anyone in the street and ask, so, hey, what what does power mean to you? I think 90% of people never stop to think about that. And I didn't either, even do that before, I think, my breakdown in 2018. And I felt so powerless. And I'm like, okay, why do I feel powerless? But I won't know that because I don't know what power means to me. And it means different things to different people. So I think the first stop, the first uh, step here is to figure out what that is for you. And while figuring that out, a lot of um, a lot of it is going to also depend on how you were raised, how your childhood was, what the experiences you've been through before, and how that shaped you. Because I think our idea of power, whether it's positive or negative, comes from the environment that shaped us. Um, and so that's very important to really sit with yourself and and figure that out because you won't be able to seek power if you know what if you don't know what it means for you. And you also don't want to make the mistake of seeking the wrong power or seeking power for the wrong reasons. And I know for a fact that when you ask most, especially women, I think now that are finally waking up and kind of fighting for equality and equity and and a place at the table and a seat at the table, we all want that power as well, because we know with power comes flexibility, freedom, um, happiness, success, money, abundance. Um, But we also don't know sometimes what that really is for us and what what it has meant for us in the past and what we want it to mean for us in the future. And to me, I realized that uh, power was just really about charting my life's course on my own terms. It's really all I want in life is to be able to feel free to make my own choices um, and not live life based on other people's expectations and be able to access the right resources and and feel confident enough to go after the life choices I want to make for myself. Um, it's also just about having the means and strength to champion my own values and valuing my own accomplishments regardless of what society says. And so for me, once I really realized that that's what I'm seeking, I think it opened my eyes a little bit more about why or why not I haven't been able to feel that kind of power and how to go about being able to be that kind of powerful. So the answer to power for everyone is going to be a little different based on their their values and what's important to them? 
Yes, I think, yeah, because we can't all define power in, in a similar way. What would you say your, your definition of power is or what, is, what does power mean to you? For me, power means having the ability to have discussions about topics that perhaps weren't talked about 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, but we're able to discuss it now. And it's interesting when we even look at things like meditation, that was considered like really woo-woo, you know, 30 years ago, but today people are accepting it as something that's spiritually sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly it. So now knowing that also I've, I've talked to some women where I'm like, so what does power mean to you? And the immediate answer was money. It's abundance is, is constantly making more and more money because money to her meant being able to be independent and control certain things around her life. And that ultimately was what she was chasing. And that's what power meant to her. It's not necessarily you know, making choices or traveling the world or whatnot, just how much money I have on the, in the bank. And, you know, maybe that's going to change for her over time. Maybe there's going to be a certain time where she gets all the money in the world and she still feels like she doesn't have the power she wants. And at that point, power might change for her. But I think that helped her just realize that she's going to be making choices now based on what that definition of power meant to her. And it's a good place for her to start. Um, and again, like I said, it changes over time um, because sometimes you you get to a point where you feel that you've gotten that power and it, it no longer satisfies you. So, and this is kind of the fluid, the fluidity um, of the process of really getting to know yourself and spending time with yourself and making that a priority throughout your life. Because what I wanted back in 25, when I was in, 25 is not what I want now at 34. And, and, and just, that's why it's important to have these internal dialogues with yourself to be able to check in on what are your needs and living your life based on your needs, not other people's expectations and also not even your own expectations. I know there was time for me where I had this crazy timeline and this crazy expectations that I need to make a million dollars before 30 and I need to be married with kids before 32. And I had like this, it's just felt so much pressure on myself. And then I checked back in with myself and I'm like, what is this timeline coming from? Why am I in such a rush to achieve all of this where it's, it's, I was constantly pushing through life as opposed to, again, being pulled into it, into what's meant for me and letting that unfold with so much trust that, that what's meant for me is going to come to me. But again, that sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves and, and that pressure leads to disappointment and anger and sometimes shame and guilt that we carry with us because we think that we're failures because we haven't met our own expectations are and our own timelines, which most of the time are meaningless. You touched on something there I'd like to expand on how we allow life to pull us. It's this surrender that mm-hmm. I know that you talk about. So how can we condition ourselves to be more accustomed to like uncertainties in life and being able to go with this surrender? It's definitely a very difficult process. Um, I know I've been on that journey for the past, I would say three years. And I will say as someone who has always felt the need to be in control all the time is very hard to surrender and let go. But I think the ability for us to let go and surrender comes from trust. Um, I learned through obviously going, you know, uh, working with a life coach and working with a therapist and even just working through my own 
sometimes, you know, self-reflections is that I didn't use to have a lot of trust in um, my, my own capabilities sometimes. And, and just in life in general, that's why I felt the need to always be in control. And that gave me some kind of safe um, and comfort uh, feeling that I'm doing the right thing because I didn't trust that things were going to work out on their own. And all I have to do is to show up and do the work and trust that the rest will fall into place. I always felt the need to control and uh, manipulate sometimes to even an unhealthy level, just to feel like I am doing my best and that I'm going to do everything it takes to get to the outcome I want. And it, only made me as far from that outcome as, as I could ever be. And that was a hard realization to come into. And I probably wouldn't have been able to realize that unless someone else told me that I was doing that subconsciously, because we tend to let our ego, you know, take over our soul. So our ego is there to protect us, to help us, you know, get through life, not be hurt. It's a defense mechanism that basically shelters us and it's always activated, but you, we have to learn to starve the ego and feed the soul instead, because the soul is what allows you to be pulled into the life you tr- that is meant for you. And when I say, that is meant for us because we all have dreams, right? We all have goals, but sometimes what is meant for us is even bigger than we can imagine for ourselves. It's bigger that we can dream for ourselves. And that's why sometimes you see and you hear of stories where you're like someone just surrendered and their life gotten even better because they were able to finally let go of that sense of control and of the ego controlling every single move that they make that they have finally ended up in a place in life where they feel more fulfilled at peace because they were pulled into it. Um, And again, it's a very, I would say, uh, lengthy process, but it really starts with learning how to trust and also getting comfortable with that side of you that just wants to surrender. We all have different sides. Well, I know I have two different sides. I have the warrior, the high achiever, the one that's always been in control for the past, I would say, you know, few years of my life, ever since I got into my career and and got off on my own, maybe ever since I moved here from from Morocco. So I've always been kind of this warrior, high achiever. Um, My ego, I have a chip on my shoulder. Like I'm out there trying to prove to everyone that I can do this, that I'm that I am more than what they think I am, that I can make it in this country, that it was always the mindset and the side of me that was dominant. And that's how I was driven in life. But then there's also a side of me that I recently came into terms with, and I've started hanging out with more, so to speak, is that side of me that is just tired of pushing through life and just wants to surrender to it. And I sometimes have conversations with myself where I sit at night with a candle and, you know, a cup of tea and a blanket on. And I do an exercise where I say, what is it about self-punishment that you love so much? It's almost like me asking a side of me um, these questions. And then you'd be surprised at how much information I start getting. It's like, wow, I've been so tough on myself all these years because I was protecting myself from X, Y, Z. And it's really a very therapeutic exercise to go through because once you let that out into the open, you embrace it and it becomes finally something that you're at peace with. And it becomes part of your identity where now you're able to balance between a side of you that is overdriven and always pushing through life, but also a side of you that is allowing you to trust in what's meant for you and that things will work out 
if you do your best. And so, yeah, I know I kind of went through a whole, you know, loop here about that answer, but, but the short answer is learning how to trust in yourself and trust in the universe. Well, I'm glad you went through that because that was extremely powerful to have that as a practice to really kind of reflect on what it is that is within us that's holding us back. And it's interesting. I know in your book, you talk about negative self-talk and our self-perception of how we view ourselves. How do we overcome that? Well, I think you, you, you can't overcome that unless you, you have um, build some kind of self-awareness where you, again, acknowledge that when you're doing that. So I think st- the, the most important step to is understanding what triggers it as well. So there are times, obviously, when you're having negative self-talk, and then there are times where you're having positive self-talk. So when you're having these negative self-talks, ask yourself, what triggered it? Is it a person? Is it a situation? Is it an environment? And once you're able to answer that, what is it about that thing or that environment, that person that triggered that negative self-talk? Why is that side of you manifesting right now? Because clearly now it's almost like your ego has come into play where it's protecting you from something. And you need to understand what that something is and be at peace with it and come into terms with it. So you can't really solve these negative self-talks if you keep ignoring them and letting them get louder and louder until they take complete control over you. You've got to be able to acknowledge it and sit with it for a little bit and understand it. It's really just a practice of having healthy conversations with yourself. Think of it as the same way you would if you're getting into a fight with a friend or a significant other. You know, it's communication ultimately that solves that toxic, um, you know, uh, moment or that toxic argument is, okay, you're clearly mad or you're, you're clearly thinking of me in a negative way or you've done something to hurt me. So let's communicate about it. What triggered it? I want to know how you feel and how I contributed to that. And I want to let you know how I feel and let me know how I can help alleviate this pain or this, you know, whatever it is that you're going through. So that's how we address that with other people. Why don't we do the same with ourselves? And that's probably the most important conversation. I remember a a mentor of mine once told me something that completely stayed with me and I think was also the driver behind the book is that the most important conversations you will have in this life are the conversations you're having with yourself. And most people on this planet probably can't recall having actual conversations with yourself Um, because we tend to, you know, human nature, we tend to just ignore it. It's not as important. It's just in my head. I'll get over it tomorrow or tomorrow's another day. I'll think differently, but you don't understand how that compiles and just becomes something that affects your day to day more than you realize it. And that's again, why the book is really just about internal battles as opposed to external battles. I mean, life is already hard, right? Out there, there's so many battles and hoops we have to jump through in life um, and society to just to navigate our world. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we can navigate our internal world to make it easier on us to navigate the external world? And that's really what it comes down to it is overcoming this negative self-talk it starts with acknowledging that you're having it and understanding where it comes from. Because if you don't, then you can't solve it. it you can't turn it into a positive. It's kind of like letting an argument take the best of you and you end up breaking up because of it, as opposed to um, working through it, you know? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> all too well. <laughs> <laughs> we've, been, we've been there. And that's how I always think of it. I'm like, when I start having this moment with myself and I'm like, if this was another friend of mine, um, how would I tell her to act? You know, if, if, a, if a friend of mine or even if a friend of yours came and told you, wow, you really shouldn't go do that presentation or re- you really shouldn't go ask for a raise because you're not where you need to be and, and they're going to deny you and you're not good enough for it. Wouldn't that make you mad that someone else thinks that of you? Wouldn't that kind of make you angry that how dare they think that I'm not good enough for that race? But somehow when we do it to ourselves, we choose to believe that as opposed to dispute it. And that's how I see it. Every time I start doubting myself or, or, or criticizing myself, I look at it as if another friend told me what I told myself. And then I start that, that ultimately wakes me up right away. You know, I find it so fascinating and you're so right. I mean, to be able to have these cues, it's like, Hey, you know, having a friend tell you this, having that wake you up. I mean, how powerful is that to have these, just these moments where it can elevate your thoughts about what's going on in in your own subconscious discussion? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I think what is what's something too that that as you start doing this kind of work, you might realize it's a lot of growth. At least at the very least, what you will get out of this inner work and self-realization process is a lot of growth. And sometimes that means waking up one day and not wanting what you always thought you wanted. And that's also I think people struggle with that because it's not a comfort zone that everyone's used to. And it's like, wait a minute, I have built all this life for myself so far. I, I've wanted this career, but now I've gone through this deep self-work and now I've I've found myself more. I've gotten to know myself better. And now I don't want any of this anymore. I want something completely different. People panic about that. I panicked about it. You know, I panic still to this day when every time I experience growth and I'm like, wait a minute, I think I'm about to pivot again because I just found another layer of myself and she's pushing me towards this direction and not to settle for this direction. And now you're felt you're left with this kind of discomfort, even though you have clarity about what you want, you're more uncomfortable with how clear you are on the decisions you need to make, as opposed to not being sure about what you need to do. And so that's another kind of dilemma that I've seen with myself and other women too, that I've talked to is that one day they wake up and maybe they're like, okay, this is not the relationship I want anymore, or this is not the career I want anymore. And they're so sure of it, but they're afraid to make that decision or take the next step to walk away and find something else because they're so uncomfortable with how sure they are and what that means because it's a big change. But that is what life is about for me. That's what I realized is that I look at life as almost like a a Mario Kart game or a, a video game where it's like level one, level two, level three. And the idea is that you don't want to get stuck in one level for the rest of your life. Life is about progressing, evolving, and it's up to you as, you know, the driver of your life to make sure that you're constantly getting to the next level. You're constantly unlocking the next, you know, phase of your life. You're constantly accumulating points or whatever it is that they do in these video games so that you could be like, okay, now it's time for level two. It might be harder, but it probably is more exciting. It's more fulfilling. And that's honestly my view of life recently is that, I'm that kind of person that is constantly looking for growth and evolving. And I, 
as a person that is very driven by growth, I have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that make that means pivoting and not second guessing myself. That means continuously getting to know myself throughout different years and decades to come and really being true to myself and staying authentic to my needs um, as opposed to, again, uh, expectations. And that's what makes it fun is that at first it's going to be uncomfortable, but ultimately if you start living your life in that lens, then you're going to start really impressing yourself and you're going to unlock a potential you never thought you even had in the first place. Do you find that if we really pay attention to what society wants from us, what social media wants from us, that can it really turn us into like dysfunctional women? Absolutely. And that's, um, that's a big struggle that I had gone through, um, especially at the very early stages of my career and being, um, you know, at Miss New York and judging Miss Universe. So I was constantly also in the public eye and I was building a brand publicly And, um, I had, I felt the need and pressure to constantly be in public doing more and, and achieving more and showing more. And ultimately that created a conflict with what I thought I needed to do and be based on these expectations and who I truly am at the core. And that's where, when I developed severe anxiety, um, and even I had a moment where I literally had a almost kidney failure. <laughs> it was not, um, it was a very dangerous, I would say, wake up call because I was really kind of operating on this do more, do more, do more with no consideration for my needs um, and who I truly wanted to be, the rest I needed, my mental health, all that. I was just trying to keep up with the pressure. And that made me dysfunctional because there was a couple of years where I had to shrink and take a complete step back and reevaluate my choices, reevaluate my goals too, um, and the way I was living because it just didn't feel sustainable whatsoever. And yes, I was achieving more in a way. Yes, I was building something that I think in the public eye, people saw as impressive and incredible. But deep down, I was feeling like crap all the time. And I couldn't even enjoy my own successes. And at that point, you have to stop and and, and realize, okay, like something is not right here. Um, I'm completely dysfunctional. And just being, just looking like a functional person from the outside is not the goal, right? Looking happy from the outside is not the goal. Um, Living life for people to be like, oh my God, you're doing all this and that is not the goal. You want to truly be happy, fulfilled, at peace and functional and wake up every day um, feeling like you're living life based on your authentic needs as opposed to what society drives you to want. And I, and I didn't, I, and I was not feeling that way at all. So at least I think I caught it in the right time. And I really had to come into terms with making some big changes in my life and, and reevaluating the way I was making decisions and what was the, the main driver behind those decisions. And ultimately, I came to discover that it was really just outside validation. That's it. It wasn't based on my true authentic needs and happiness. It was based on needing to constantly get that outside validation that I was doing great, that I was good enough, that I'm making it, 
and that, you know, I'm surviving out there and I'm fighting and I'm this warrior and like, I should be praised for it. It was just not the healthy, obviously mindset to adopt. But I also think that that is now the norm when you look at social media and, and I've, I've made it a point to take a complete step back from it. I still use it to a certain extent, but it does not drive my life anymore. Like it used to, um, it's very minimal now and at balance. And, but before it, there's the comparison factor that comes into play. There is the feeling of f- missing out. There is the feeling that you're not doing enough in comparison to other people, your age or in your friend circle or in your professional circle. There is all these things that are constantly being absorbed and you don't even pay attention to it because all you're doing is scrolling. It feels like a harmless you know, activity that you're just doing during your lunch break or maybe two hours a day or sometimes six hours a day. Um, it feels like, you know, I'm just, I'm just browsing, but you don't also realize the toll it takes on your mental health when you start internalizing a lot of that pressure and the comparison um, and feeling like you need to live your life a certain way based on what you're seeing on these social channels, as opposed to looking deep inside and realizing and figuring out what what you want and what your needs are and living life based on that. So yes, absolutely. But again, that does not mean that does not mean that you should completely take off social media from your life and just go crawl in into, you know, a hole and hide. Absolutely not. I think the 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 idea here is to figure out what is this that what does that balance look like? And again, another reason why I picked the glass ledge as a as a reference, because when you think of a ledge, you're really thinking about balance because that's when you're on a ledge, you just want to stay balanced and you don't want to fall off. You know, you don't want to make the right move. You want to, you don't want to um, skew one side too much and end up falling. So you really want to master the act of balancing when you find yourself on a ledge. And that's the idea with each of the themes that I describe in the book and, you know, from power to likability to, you know, um, confidence to conflict and authenticity. It's not like, there, there is a certain way to pursue those themes is that the best way you can utilize those themes for yourself is to find the perfect balance to achieve likability, the perfect balance to achieve power, the perfect balance to handle conflict, the perfect balance to, to channel your confidence in a productive way. And so that's really the idea is that I'm not telling you what to do or how to live life. It's more like I'm giving women the tools and information needed to master the balancing act of standing firmly on a glass ledge. You've done so much research for this book and for the work that you do. While you were doing your research, was there anything that surprised you or you think would surprise other people? I I, I think most of the statistics and research in regards to just um, women empowerment and just, you know, the state of equality and equity um, hasn't been anything surprising because I think that's some, that's a field I've been in for the past almost decade of my life. And we've all heard of these statistics. We've all seen, um, a lot of women come forward about certain experiences. You know, we all go through one way or another. So a lot of that has been very, um, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say it's not shocking, but it's also just sad and disheartening to be able to relay that in the book as well. And just, talk to it more from also my personal experience. Um, But I think the most surprising thing for me is also the therapy I I got from writing this book, because I was also reminding myself of a lot of things I was doing wrong. And I also reminded myself of how I could continually 
improve on myself and continuously build that self-awareness through these very simple exercises and simple self-reflections that I talk about in the book. So I think I was mostly surprised as how efficient a lot of those exercises were for me because I was one of those women too that never really believed in inner work as much. I never really believed in letting go and releasing and, and surrendering. And to me, it's all about science and fact. But I also just came to realize how much of internal work is needed to really be able to live a truly balanced and authentic life. And not a lot of it has to, to do with acquiring more hard skills or building a bigger network or moving to a city with more resources and opportunities. I think I have gotten to a point after writing this book when I started believing that, you know, doing more and learning more is not always the answer. Yes, it's important, but it's not the only thing that's going to get you that dream job or that dream life. You really need to invest in yourself in ways you've never known before because it really starts with you. We are the vessel of, um, you know, that life that we want to manifest and, and the life that we want to live. And if we're not able to really strike a balance internally and live from a place of alignment and confidence and authenticity, as opposed to panic, fear, um, and doubts, then chances for that life you're seeking to manifest are very slim. What message would you like to share with women that you feel is really important? I think the most important message is one I've been kind of driving home for the past hour is just really that the way to regain regain control of your path is to regain control of your internal dialogues and narrative. And it starts there. It's it's really that simple. And I will say again, the same phrase that my mentor said that I think definitely changed a lot of my life perspective is that the most important conversation you can have today and tomorrow, if you're really trying to change something about your life, is the conversation you're going to have with yourself and really invest in that and take it seriously. Because I know a lot of people kind of, yeah, I've done the inner work and, you know, I've done some meditation here and there, but it's not truly something they've invested in. Um, and so I would encourage women to to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable um, and really pulling to the surface these deep limiting beliefs uh, and negative self-talk and exploring it further and coming into peace with it and releasing it because that's going to lift a huge burden um, that you, you never thought was even there. Where can our listeners connect with you and be part of your community and learn more about your work? Yes, thank you. So I'm um, on all socials at Iman Ubu, I-M-A-N-O-U-B-O-U. Um, also, our platform is uh, sway.com, S-W-A-A-Y.com. And the, the, my website is theglassledge.com. So I'd love to hear from you. And if you've read the book or have any questions about it, I would love to connect with you. Molly Mon, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Iman. It's been such an honor to spend this time with you and to talk about your new book, The Glass Ledge. I'd like to thank Jason Eastwood at Guitarfulness for sharing his inspiring music and talent with us. His music is known worldwide for cultivating atmospheres of harmony, inner peace, and clarity. 
visit Jason's website at guitarfulness.com. Join his newsletter, be part of his community, and download his music. Well, we're at the end of our time today. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to Moments with Marianne, where we make every moment count. In a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work. And while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guest and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information.